Welcome to the Two Marketeers podcast, where marketing swashbucklers, Sean and Lindsay, seek to demystify the fascinating world of modern marketing. Each episode takes listeners on a storytelling adventure that informs, entertains, and inspires marketing enthusiasts of all kinds. And now, here are your hosts, the two marketeers themselves, Sean Patrick and Lindsay Wow! Yeah! Woo! Take the stick! Hello. Good morning. Hello. Hello, it's me. I thought we were, I thought you were the one who said, don't say good morning, because who knows when people listen to it. Good any time of day to you. Uh, 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 uh. Hi. Hi, Sean Patrick. Hi, Lindsay B. Wah. What's shaking? Uh, things I don't want to tell you about. Oh, I always but... love your answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> what's shaking? I can't see what's shaking. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what I sound like? Is that how you do your Sean voice? So I say blah, 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 and then Sean says, ah. <laughs> No, that's my never admitting to what someone's talking about voice. That's my skirting the question voice. Oh, when someone's sort of saying, so Lindsay, what, you know, you feel this way, right? And you're like, And then, yes. and then it's followed by a full transparency here. And that's when you basically <laughs> just open it up. Swear my face off? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Swear my face off. Literally. I was it thinking. On... Oh, what were you thinking? I knew that would get your attention. <laughs> what? Oh, you were? This is interesting. <laughs> Well, let's make some space to hear about it. <laughs> I was just thinking, I don't know, I was listening to the radio this morning. Um, and, you know, a lot of times we listen to morning shows because uh, we like the dynamic of, you know, the the duo. And I just was like, wow, they're so quick. So, of course, anytime I hear like a man-woman duo, I think, well, that's me and Lindsay. I mean, how far are we from a radio show, really? Radio is dead. Well. This is our radio show. <laughs> there it is. Pull that plug. We shouldn't go backwards. <laughs> radio's dead. And then when I say, Lindsay, you say that radio's dead, and you'll be like, did I? Well, it's actually, I it can mean. actually be a very effective tool. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, I see it. It's working for you. I know. You. I'm sorry. It's not. It's not. It's sort of like a, it's a better, it's a more classy approach to sorry, not sorry, or no offense, or just kidding. It's a yeah. very. A very well-engineered, orchestrated, manipulative, strategic move. Good on you. I actually love the radio. I don't want to listen. I don't want to. Li- I don't want to listen to like Spotify. I mean, from a consumer perspective, I actually love it from both perspectives. You said radio is dead. Go ahead, do it. Ta-da! <laughs> no, it's not. It's just. It's hanging on my thread. No, it can be a very effective tool. We always say like, with this piece of radio creative, what is going to make someone turn their car around and head to your store to get something? It's very like in the moment. So what store are we sending them to when we have a radio show once radio is dead? Nowhere. (laughs) Actually, it just takes the pressure off, right? Radio's dead? Fine, let's do it. Podcast. Who does podcast? Great, let's do it. Yeah, we only latch on to things that are dead or dying. So that yeah, we and then we really suck the life out of them. Exactly. Lower the bar. 
and overperform. Yeah. We can't go on TikTok because that is way too new. We're going to wait till people are over it and then we'll do it. Can I tell you something? I was hoping I could find an in for this story and you just created it. So thank you. So my son came home yesterday. He goes to school in the city and he doesn't live that far away, but we see him every few weeks. So anyways, you know, it's always, hey, how you doing? How's school? It's fine. It's good. You know, like, good. It's fine. (laughs) So um, he's home and he went upstairs or something. And my older daughter FaceTimes us and just to chat. And she says, oh, by the way, have you guys seen his TikTok? And we're like, no. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, no, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed on TikTok. And she's like, oh, my God. She goes, I actually had a friend of mine because she lives like East Coast. She's like a friend of mine said, oh, uh, your brother popped up on my feed. What? I'm going on it right now. So, but don't say anything. I, I won't even tell the details. But anyways. Don't say anything to who we're telling everyone. Right <laughs> yeah, but they don't know who he is. They'll oh. never figure it out. Is it his even first th- name, last name, his thing? or like? No, what? I couldn't find him. I tried last night. <laughs> and I've never been on TikTok. So I'm like, I don't know how to do this. Anyways, uh, long story short, she's like, well, so of course my, my wife's like, well, tell us, tell us. My kids are very good. They, they, they have a united front. They're like, no. You should ask him. So, you know, we finished our conversation with her. He comes, he comes downstairs. Oh my gosh, I found it. So he comes downstairs and my wife's like, so what happened on TikTok this week? He goes, oh, did you see it? And she said, no. He goes, well, how do you know? And she said, well, he, uh, your sister told us that, you know, you did something and you went viral. And he's like, oh yeah. And we're like, well, how viral did it go? And he goes, well, it got like, at that point, uh, it got like 2.3 million views. No. And I'm like, is that good? Let me look at my, let me pull out my calculator here. Let me, I wrote this down. Which video is it? So 2.3 million views, 800,000 likes, 27,000 new followers. And because he posted it or whatever, shared it on his Instagram, he garnered 1,500 new followers. I really need to find it. We're going to have to powwow after this where you can tell me the actual name and everything. I don't know the name. I'll ask Simone. What do you mean? Get get your oldest daughter to send me this video so that I can consume it ASAP. No, we don't do that. Okay, I'll do my best. No, she can send it to me. I know who he is on Instagram. I know who he is on Instagram. Okay, we'll powwow later. So we're not revealing the details of your celebrity family. And of course, his sister comes downstairs, the youngest, who is somewhat of a TikTok star. She um, is? Well, Are just you around. you a Kardashian and I didn't know <laughs> until right now? No, let's put this in a perspective. Can we please talk about how your son doesn't even look like your son anymore? Because he's like a man now. So, okay. So, you know what the biggest comment was? You have to understand, like, 800,000 likes... And I don't even know how many comments. And by the third comment, he just goes, you guys are going to laugh. And this takes us back to an earlier episode. All everyone kept saying was, Zac Efron, Zac Efron, Zac. It became a joke. So apparently, he's this Zac Efron lookalike. Huh. Interesting. I can't even talk to you right now. I'm down a rabbit hole. Okay. I got to (laughs) go. Take me out of this rabbit hole. What are yeah. we doing? And so you have seen it. I have seen it. He showed us. And are you going to send it to me? Let's just confirm. 
I'll get you to see it. I can't send it to you. I don't know. I don't know how to get to it. Okay, get your daughter to send it to me. Email it to me right away. I will be engulfed in TikTok now for the rest of the day. It's crazy. It's crazy. That is crazy. Wow. Quite a, I, no one turned famous in my house this morning. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about what I thought was a new term. Um, story doing. What do you mean what you thought? Is it not? It's not. Oh. You know, you know me. It's never what I think it is. Behind. <clears throat> Behind. That's you know me. me. Not up to speed. <laughs> Thanks for that, Lindsay. That's called wise. That's called being wise. So, you know, last couple of episodes, um, you know, we really started talking, kicked off the year about like, you know, what the hell are we supposed to do when we're being thrown all this information that, you know, we don't believe is accurate? How can anyone know based on data and analytics, what the hell is the thing to do for brands? Um, Which then led us to kind of talk about, well, as strategists, what are we to do? Well, the first thing you do is you encourage your brand to listen. Um, because you have to be relevant. You no longer can you continue to just talk about yourself and, and promote what's great about you or even see what happens when you don't listen and you just keep talking as a brand. Um, not only can that connection with your highest value consumers erode, it can actually be ruined. So with all that, all of this is so timely. And as I was doing my research for a few things, this thing came up and I shared it with Lindsay and it was around, it was an article uh, by Landor, there was a habit. There was a rabbit hole I went down. But Landor is a global branding agency. It's pretty impressive. Um, and the headline was "Storytelling Becomes Story Doing," and I was like, "That's kind of what Lindsay's been saying, right?" Yeah. And what we've been saying, even in the last episode, was you have to listen so that you know what you should do, and instead of talking about what you're going to do, do it. And let that be the story you talk about. Exactly. Did I do that well? Am I a good student? Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's my philosophy to everything right now with not only this, not only brands. It's like, stop telling me you're going to go to the gym. Just go there and then tell me later that you're, you know. Well, you always know the person person who talks about, I'm on a diet. I join this is typically the person who gets quiet about it in about a month and you know not to bring it up. I know, right? And I think it's like the lack of momentum and like personal and progress and things like that being kind of locked up a little bit for the last year. But it's like, I just want to hear what are people doing? What are you doing? What's the action? Tell me the action and that something's moving forward. It's a Tell me something, right? Tell me. Yeah. So um, I love the the headline and I just, I'm going to read a little bit of it. It's no longer enough to talk a good game. Consumers today demand that businesses act. This means behaving responsibly, sustainably, and ethically and making a positive impact in the world. We are moving from the area of thought leadership to do leadership. Dang. Mm, Do leadership. Where storytelling becomes story doing. Brands that fail to do face becoming irrelevant. I agree. Okay. They're right. Hot topic, right? With COVID and everything. Here's what's interesting. The story was published. The article was published January 10th, 2020. That's a beautiful day in which every year I celebrate my date of birth. Okay. Well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Great day to publish this article. Please go ahead. But it's pre-COVID. 
Oh, really? When was it? Was I not even <laughs> oh listening? Oh, my God. <laughs> January 10th, 20, oh, 2020. See, I don't even know what 2020. It's all wash. Okay, we need focus here, Lindsay. This is the setup. I'm with you. So I'm like, well, of course. And then, like, I read the article and it talks about, like, you know, consumers call bullshit. And, you know, things like the stakes have never been higher and the world's youngest generations demand that businesses are equal to the challenge. Many young consumers today describe themselves as belief-driven buyers with a third, 37%, of millennials willing to boycott a brand based on its ethical behavior. So... Mm-hmm. here's what it is and I bring it back to it'll be another episode we launch where when you first talked about in podcast camp I think you start going like what is this COVID thing like I'm really starting to worry right and I'm like ah, it's just Y2K all over <laughs> again don't worry about it there goes Sean again <laughs> but anyways what that point of that whole discussion was around things exist trends exist movements exist but whether they catch on typically that typically doesn't happen the first time you know they've weathered the storm of like yeah this was a thing but it had a different meaning meaning or okay mm-hmm. great so if 37 percent of millennials are willing to do this this applies to everyone now yeah and i would say like gen z like the younger generation is probably even, even like 60 70 percent more likely to boycott a brand who's not you know living values that they agree with and it's like what they say about COVID is that it's not necessarily generating these new trends. It's merely amplifying the importance of things that were already happening, which is clearly the case here. This was a thing, but how much has we talked about how, you know, COVID has accelerated retail by 10 years and eight months, right? That's the the hot topics and all that stuff. I kind of look at that in parallel and say, well, how much has uh, COVID accelerated story doing? Right. You know, and that's all cool. So I'm reading this and they give examples. There's some great examples. But at, for, for you know, one example is, for example, Tommy Hilfiger uh, launched what's called an adaptive range, where basically it was fashion clothing, fashionable clothing for disabled customers. So just really, you know, uh, altering and adapting in small ways to make things more accessible uh, for a large part of the for the population. Um, so that was really interesting. And they just talk about all these things. Um and you just kind of go, okay, whoa, that's when I started reading that going that I was looking for good COVID story doing examples. And what started mm-hmm. to happen was um, I went down a rabbit hole that actually it was a really big thing in like 2012 to 2014. And it was totally around, it was really the driver. And this is where I'm like, right, because we both worked for a company that did this. And it was all around experiential. It was all around, it was literally that pivot that the company made when they brought on my company and we hired Lindsay um, as, you know, to start this digital thing where they were an experiential company that were trying to show that experiences are amplified by consumers and it's the new way you no longer buy eyeballs um you find where those eyeballs are you see what's important to them and you create experiences for those people that are shareable among their peers so so that was really story doing started to be around that and there is this really intricate sort of branding structure around story doing which i think is fascinating i won't Hmm. go to that level of detail um, but if you Google story doing, I think there's a, like a storydoing.com. It's really like, it's kind of doing what we do, but looking at it in a whole different way. 
Um, but it's a giant rabbit hole that I'm not willing to go into. But it, at the end of this article, it just says, you know, the brand takeouts from Landar are this. So how can brands strike the balance of taking a stand while avoiding the pitfalls of faking engagement and action? I think Lindsay wrote that. <laughs> I wish. So here's what's really interesting from a branding company is the number one is create win-win business models for consumers and companies. And this is what I'm recognizing. I think it's what you're recognizing, at least on the work that we're doing together, is it starts with the business model. Right. Like you really have to look at how are you going to use marketing to make money and it can't happen the same way. It's not wrong to make money, but what does making money mean? Is it just making money? And that's where people like you and I say, because I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. where's the fun in that um, consumers say they will change their purchase behavior based on how a business acts but don't assume this means they'll pay more we expect price to me- remain a priority in 2020 no, <laughs> uh, that's just changed <laughs> and brands must create business models that meet customer demands without expecting a premium attracting millennial and Gen Z customers is the reward the reward is attracting them not selling them products right authentically attracting them. Yeah. And that win-win model, like this is where I think traditional companies struggle a little bit to just like weave this in as part of their message because brands like Tom's Shoes, for instance, was built from the ground up with this type of win-win business model in mind, doing well and performing well as a business and bringing something that people can feel good about to the market. So they latch onto it because they feel good about it, not because you're just trying to sell them something. Yeah. And as long as you just keep reinforcing why you were created and it's a good thing and it helps the world, there's not much to do other than maintain it. Just keep telling your story. Keep telling, updating us on what you're doing because doing is how you started. Right. Um, Number two, which is something I've had some experience with, uh, not-for-profit consultation I've been doing and doing my little bit. Uh, It's Number two is triple bottom line is the future. Um, If you're not aware of what triple bottom line, it's a whole new way of measuring success within companies. And if you're a company starting now, you have to consider it. And if you don't, I strongly advise you look at it. Um, It's all based on corporate social responsibility, what we know as CSR, uh, to a brand's position. It's not an add-on. The triple bottom line is a framework that includes social, environmental, and financial results. Mm -hmm. I think that might have been put in the order of priority. Um, So social, environmental, and financial results, and is increasingly how consumers and investors will measure those they do business with. So as much as that was in the charitable sort of not-for-profit social responsibility model, that model is the new way companies will be measured. And it's so important to consumers that like they will immediately call bullshit on companies who are just who aren't doing this authentically and are just kind of layering them in. Like I come into a lot of situations where, you know, you have an amazing product you have a great company that has some wonderful beliefs and then things like environmental, for instance, it's kind of like, well, is there any way for us to just make the packaging sustain? Like it's not currently sustainable, but can yeah. we try and, you know, can we make the lid recyclable? Like that kind of thing. And you're like, that's not living it. That's trying to force fit it to, that's posing. to something. Exactly. And it's like, if you truly live something like environmental sustainability as one of your core values, that product packaging would have been built from the beginning with 
that type of approach in mind as a key priority. So I think that's kind of the difference where consumers can instantly say, I think they just threw in a recyclable lid so that they could say it's sustainable versus a company that's fully ingrained in ethical sourcing and sustainability of product development. Yeah, exactly. And the idea here is, listen, it's not for everyone, but it is the way a brand that looks at value, higher value, um, and truly what a brand can do versus a product is grow that value and, and maintain that value. Yeah. This is where you have to go or else it's short-lived. It will be short-lived. Yeah. And even with regards to price and, and paying more and even what they're saying with um, it doesn't assume that people will pay more. I've done a lot of research that suggests that people will actually pay more. And especially in these times with COVID, I think people have really had that realization of being in their homes and all the things that you don't actually need. So I think there's a bit of a shift towards quality Yes. and having less, using less, buying things that are really great and support your values and are actually great products. And people are willing to pay more for things they believe in and things that they think are of the highest quality because we're so we're moving away from all of that superficial BS stuff that we didn't need now that we're realizing more our core priorities since they've been shown to us in a mirror in the face <laughs> for the last slapped us in know, the face year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been a big realization and I would argue that people are actually willing to pay more for a brand that they believe in. Absolutely. I mean, I live it. Right? My my wardrobe has reduced by about by half. And I, you know, as needs happen, I, I, I replenish it in a whole different way, in very, very minimal, high value ways. I buy better things. I take more time to think about whether I really need them. And I, I, I find that I, I, I don't go hunting for the best price now. I go hunting for the best product with an idea in my head that I'm going to pay more than I used to because I'm buying a better product and it will make me feel good. Yeah. And number three, last but not least, when we talk about corporate social responsibility, native brands are already here and traditional brands need to catch up. So a brand created today has purpose built into its business model. For those that don't, they must find their own brand of CSR, one that is relevant and authentic and couldn't be delivered by any other brand. And that's, you know, yeah. So don't fake it. Yeah, exactly. You can't fake it till you make it in this. Yeah. Um, that's going to be your dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about this. What have you seen? What's timely? What's what's a big message out there of, of story doing? Yeah, I think that there's obviously a lot of chatter around um, advertising and brand messages and where brands should be putting their investments during times like this. And is it really about getting people to buy more product? Can there be a higher purpose that can come out of a situation like a global pandemic that brands can then start to lean into? And I think the Super Bowl is a very timely example of how some big brands are really taking investments that they may have made in a one-time spot that would have taken place during one of the major entertainment milestones of the year and saying like, hey, is there an opportunity based on what our brand values to put our money somewhere else actually like put our money where our mouth is if we're if we're going to say that we're a values driven brand so all over the place with major publications ad age um 
the drum, you know, everyone's talking about what's going on with the Super Bowl. And one of the really right. great examples that I thought I would bring up is the headline around Buzz Buzzwaza. <laughs> Buzzwaza.com. <laughs> They're changing their name. No. Um, Budweiser Buzz- is just <laughs> What's up? Okay. You good? Yeah. You with me? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Budweiser is to skip Super Bowl for the first time in 37 years. What? So, yeah. Would they not be the thing? Pardon? Are, is Budweiser not the brand of Super Bowl? Yeah, their commercials at Super Bowl are legendary. So they're, you know, they literally make you cry with the Clydesdales and the best friends with the puppies and like all that stuff where I think people actually look forward to seeing what they're going to bring out every year, at least kind of advertising junkies like me do. What's up? I mean, come on. I mean, and that. I work at beer.com. What's up? (laughs) Okay. Sorry. We are going to, if someone can count the amount of times that Sean Patrick says what's up now in this episode. What's up? You're going to win a prize. (laughs) Anyway. Um, so they say Anheuser-Busch will still run ads for Bud Light and Michelob Ultra, but says it will funnel Bud's investment into a vaccine awareness campaign. So um, I'll just read a little bit of this Ad Age article and we'll share it um, as well. So it says another iconic advertiser is sitting out the Super Bowl. Budweiser will forego ad time in the big game for the first time in 37 years, breaking a streak that has included some of the most recognizable spots in Super Bowl history, from 1989's Bud Bowl to 2014's Puppy Love. That's what I'm talking about, where you cry. Oh, I'll have to look at them all. Yeah, we'll share them um, in the notes of this episode as well. So it says, The discussion by Anheuser-Busch and Bev to sideline the brand for the year's most-watched TV event follows similar moves by Coca-Cola and Pepsi signaling that big brands are taking a markedly different approach to this year's game as COVID and political strife continues to dominate the news cycle. Mm. AB and Bev, which for years has been the game's exclusive beer advertiser, so you're right, will still consume at least four minutes of national airtime and national broadcast. Ads will run for Bud Light, Bud Light Seltzer Lemonade, Michelob Ultra, and Michelob Ultra Organic Seltzer. The brewer will also run what it describes as its first ever corporate Super Bowl commercial, which launches a campaign highlighting the company's commitment to making a positive impact on communities and playing a role in our nation's economic recovery. So Hmm. again, doing things before talking about them, and now they are using some of this time to be able to highlight the doing that they have been been doing, the doing they've been doing, all the doing. (laughs) So they're ready when they're, so they need to be ready when they're ready that they're ready. Correct. Get ready when you're ready when you're ready and do your doing. So they say instead of running an ad for Bud, the nation's largest brewer says it will relocate spending to support the Ad Council's coronavirus vaccine public education campaign. This commitment is an investment in the future that we can all get back together safely over a beer. And that's where I think the kind of cool thing is is the tie there where they're like, mm. okay, so... I mean, everyone's throwing money at coronavirus stuff now. Right. Like what's what's actually, you know, ties back to the brand? Like how, where's the link and where's the thread? And when they say this commitment is an investment in the future where we can all get back together safely over a beer, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like that's why it's helping to protect people so that we can get back together. So they've really, you know, it just shows, I mean, they know they're these big brands, especially no, no one more so than alcohol 
uh, alcoholic beverage industry, but having worked for them, um, they really know their consumers and they invest a lot of money in understanding the trends. Um, so it just goes to show they didn't want to be tone deaf, right? Yep. And exactly. They, they put their money where their mouth is. I think it's how we end the last episode, right? Yeah. How are you going to change your model in a way that demonstrates things are going to change? Exactly. So they say Bud is promoting the move with a digital ad by David released today. Um, that is a narrated by Rashida Jones and shows Americans coping with the pandemic, plus scenes of some of the first healthcare workers getting the vaccine. The spot called Bigger Picture ends by plugging the ad council's effort while suggesting Bud will be back for the 2022 Super Bowl with a text, see you at the game next year. Nice. Which I think is really cool. The, and the insight comes around like, and this is US, right? So clearly there's a lot of talk around the vaccine and hesitation by some people to actually get the vaccine. And so right. and we're not going to get into our stance on vaccines, but there's a big need for awareness around impact and safety and what the vaccine is actually doing for people and some heartfelt pieces by big brands that help, can help change or at least people um, make them consider a little further an initiative like like getting your vaccine. So that's where their whole um, stance is coming from. And they also say that instead of blowing a full budget on one day's airtime with, you know, a 30 second, 60 second spot, they actually have the ability with that money to not only donate to this initiative and help the ad council's effort of raising more than $50 million um, for this initiative, but they have the ability to then have this message in market for such a longer period of time. So this can air for, you know, four to six weeks instead of one night and really have a greater impact on um, a nation's ability to consider the value of this vaccine and of getting it so that in 2022, we can all be back together. Are you crying again? No, you're crying. That's amazing. So just a great example that I wanted to share that, that ties back to what you're talking about. So there's this amazing article. Um, we'll put the link to it as well. It's called, uh, it's by Inc.com. Um, Forget storytelling, try story doing. And really, it's the whole article is just designed around what's the difference, which I think is just great and very useful. Um, there's a difference between living your brand story and simply talking about it. Here's how to s- distinguish between the two. Um Great story-doing companies are on a quest. They define an ambition beyond commercial aspiration that comes through in everything they do. Being the biggest or most financially successful is not a quest anymore, I'll just say. There has to be a fundamental generosity for a quest to inspire. It has to be something that inspires people to join and evangelize. Right. And then they talk about Three things you need to do. Yeah, I, I know. But they wasn't in the title. Number one, <laughs> they have to define an ambition. What are you trying to do beyond what I'll say financial success, mm-hmm. right? They have to define an enemy. They have to have a defined enemy. And, you know, what I realized, Lindsay, is it's just part of the practice when, when you and I work together, what we kind of work with the discovery process. With all the research we do and all the stuff we collect, the end piece is okay, so what's the problem and why has it arisen, right? And there has to be an external force that you're fighting against. Otherwise, you're just trying to make money. So it's the same kind of thing, defining an enemy. 
And that's the tension that we always talk about. So yeah. the tension is, you know, what are you fighting against and where's the brand's role in that? I literally said this to a client yesterday. Our key priority first is to define the enemy, to figure out what the thing is that we need to overcome or what we're working against or what we're challenging. And overcoming that, the heart of it has to be in our brand values. So in a lot of the brand positioning work that I do, we write a set of brand beliefs, like the things that we believe in. It's not only just our values and things that you're going to put on put on the wall. Hence the it's, ambition stuff, right? What are your beliefs? Yeah, What's exactly. That's yeah. the ambition. It's like, what do we believe should be true in the world? And what is the enemy that we're up against to make this actually happen? And then you have to start with the customer first. So when you define that enemy, don't have your own stance on that enemy. Look at it through how that impacts them. Yeah, and it's not necessarily your enemy. It's the enemy that consumers nationwide are up against. It's the enemy that we're all united so that when you do tell that story, when you do do that story, don't ever forget that story needs to be told through their eyes, not your own. Right. So anyways... I'm just blown away by this. Uh, last thing I saw that was really cool is they talk about uh, three kinds of story. So formerly that we all knew was there's two kinds of story, fiction and nonfiction, right? But actually, when we think of story doing, there's a new kind of story, and that's called the meta story. Have you ever heard that term? Hmm, I have not. Yeah, well, she has to go now. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> you can't tell me new <clears throat> things. You know I'll never pay attention from that moment forward. Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> meta story is story that is told through an action. It is not a story that you say, it's a story that you do. Every individual has one and every company has one too. And it just to elaborate is a meta story is a single seamless and expanding narrative that treats all the different media formats as one connected storytelling canvas within which each media brings its unique strength to bear in bringing part of the meta story to the audience. Wow. I think that requires a lot of unpacking of what you just read. <laughs> right? I know. Like, that's crazy. We're going to have to listen to what you just read about five more times before you're able What's to. What's <laughs> Yeah, I know. The idea is it's kind of like, oh my God, it puts into practice, it gives a name to what we practice. You have to live your story. Therefore, how you strategically plan how you're going to tell it across media over time, all the time, is you listen and you, you know, you stay true and you weather it. You face the challenges. You, 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 you look ahead towards those, you know, external threats. You have to face the threats and you have to understand how those threats are impacting your consumers. But when you're a beer... Right? Or when you're a furniture company, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. The Cannes Lions or Lyon uh, just put out some big awards. Uh, it must have been an interesting time for them because for the first time ever, I don't think they had a physical event. Uh, and Which they are planning to have this year. Did you see that? No. They are planning an in-person Cannes Lions awards this year. When? This summer. Well, there you go. Will that happen? We'll see if Budweiser's vaccine campaign works before uh, yeah. the Can Lions take place. Um, but one of the big winners they had was totally about story doing. And it was uh, the Ikea one. It was out of uh, Israel, I believe. Um, I actually shared it on uh, LinkedIn yesterday. But it was just a great story around how Ikea um, listened, uh, learned that 10% um, of the population 
have accessibility issues, and specifically as it relates to utilizing day-to-day furniture. Um, it's a great video. They've done everything right um, from a strategist perspective. It's like, wow, they invested in truly making a difference somewhere. And in the end, they won. It win-win. Um, but basically what they did was they built these little add-on accessories that make everyday f- IKEA furniture totally accessible. Brilliant. For someone who can't flick a switch or someone who can't get up from the couch and these, you know, in bins in their stores in Israel, it's like, oh, you know, you have the bins with all the things, these cheap little pieces that make everyday items that are inexpensive yet stylish accessible. They, you know, they've been providing value to people with affordable design for however long they've been in business now and actually taking the step back to say, okay, so what could we do to actually help people? And I think Budweiser may have asked themselves that same question, and it's not necessarily designing something that's going to change the way people do something, but their way in which they can help people is by using their brand and their message and their time and their money. Yes, um, to convey what they believe is an important message. And the enemy for them is COVID, right? The enemy for them is COVID. Yeah. Uh, The enemy for IKEA was accessibility. Right. Uh, or lack thereof. So yeah, it's just so great because you are the one who, you know, I'd love to attribute it all to you, but uh, there are other people who believe the same thing, I guess. But it was really that idea <laughs> of brands are going to have to do and they're going to have to do well, all in the tail end of early in COVID. They, th- we saw mistakes and we had high hopes and high expectations. Well, I'll say we had high expectations of them. And I, you know, if I look at, you know, 2020 in retrospect and we see some of the great things or e- even in 2021, let's be honest, all the planning around Budweiser was, you know, completely in the in the can, probably by last spring, you'd know better than I would. So I, I'm, I'm feeling really good that our industry is they're really rising to the challenge. And, and they're ready to like, let's figure this out. Everything has changed. So I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. it's pat on the back to the industry, don't you think? I think so. Yeah. And brands who are actually saying like, we're going to do this. I think, yeah, like kudos to you. We're in this together. Oh, God, help me. Okay, let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right. Okay, so listen up. And uh, what, what's the word? Do, don't say. Do, don't tell. But you can't story do until you started listening and invested in your brand and where its opportunities lie in truly doing great things. Yep, I would agree. Now are you crying? Oh, I'm not crying today. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling optimistic. Okay. Well, before we go, I just have one last thing to say. What is it? What's up? Okay. Have a great day. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. That's it for this episode, my fellow marketeers. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, subscribe to this podcast at thetwomarketeers.ca. That's thetwomarketeers.ca. Spell it out. Be sure to tune in for more marketing adventures every month from us, the Two Marketeers. But you can just call us Sean and Lindsay. Actually, I, I would prefer Wise Guy. Yeah, I, I know you would. We're not, we're not doing that.